Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and the many ways to achieve financial independence. We interview accomplished investors and entrepreneurs with the goal that their stories inspire you to take control of your financial future. Here to get your creative juices flowing while also documenting their own personal investing journeys are your hosts, Corey Jacobson and Ryan Bevilacqua. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, it's your boys, Ryan and Corey here with another episode. Today we had on Coach Chad Carson. He is a real estate investor out of um, Clemson, South Carolina. He actually played linebacker at Clemson and then you know moved into an entrepreneurial life and became a real estate investor. He is the author of Retire Early with Real Estate and his new book, The Small and Mighty Real Estate Investor. Both are published by Bigger Pockets. Chad was one of our very first guests on the show, episode 23 back in the day. Uh, if you've been following along, we're at episode like 176 I think Chad's like 175-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. So um, I, I say this, he was the first guy, first bigger name to take a shot on us and come on our show and, and, and give us the time of day. Um, fast forward to today, you know, we've, things have been going smooth for four years, but uh, he also is one of the first guys we've had. We almost consider him like a virtual mentor to us. We followed along on his YouTube channel. He taught us how to analyze deals, you know, have the wherewithal to go in and actually buy our first deal. He coached us through our property that burned down. And when I say he coached us, we just like studied his articles, his YouTube channels. We've met him a couple of times, but uh, he has been one of the most influential people to us personally on our journey. So we wanted to bring him back on the show, talk about his life three years later after um, his first time on the show and uh, a lot has changed but he has still remained the same awesome dude yeah he's I, I really love Chad like he was somebody that I read his book and I was like oh, it would be so cool to like try to talk to this guy and then we ended up happening you know it's amazing what you put out in the universe but he is just a quintessential dude that is like doing exactly what you would likely want to do if you start when you start going into real estate investing he built a portfolio of 100 units and then has basically taught everyone how to take these little mini retirements along the way so he's like why wait until you're 60 70 80 to like retire when you can take these clarity breaks and travel to spain and and south america and and take not just you know two three four weeks off he's taken six weeks off he's taken a year off he's taken a year and a half a year and a half off spend time with his family and his biggest thing is doing what matters that's like chat and he is a podcast he talks all about it but like doing exactly what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And that's why he got into real estate. And the whole thing is that he's a coach. He came from the sports world. So he has a lot of great sports analogies. And I mean, I just like listening to him because he's so informed, but also you can tell like there's people that when you listen to them speak, you can just tell that he's a good person. And we try to only get good people on the show. So, but Chad's guaranteed one of those. Guaranteed one of them. (laughs) Yeah. He really talks the X's and O's. There's a lot of fluff out there, I will say. Um, you guys probably hear this. You're like, oh man, this guy's a guru, or he, you know, um, they don't really know what they're talking about, or, or that you check them on their numbers. Chad really will walk you through step by step, and this is through obviously all his education on YouTube and his books. But like, the I say the X's and O's, tongue in cheek, right? It's kind of like talking to a coach. But the one, two, three, four, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then you'll reach that success, and you'll be done with it. So. For us, we used his books as like a handbook or a guidebook, like a mini Bible, <laughs> the way it taught us to, to invest in real estate. But um, 
I don't know. We could talk about Chad all day. We kind of gas him up throughout the entire episode because That's great. he's just so awesome. And he does, I don't think he knows how awesome he is or how influential. We called him a lot in the episode, so I hope he knows now. Yeah, I hope he knows now. <laughs> but um, yeah, without further ado, let's bring back in Chad. Let's do it. When you have investment properties and tenants, you need a good system in place for collecting rent to make it easy as possible. And Rent Ready can help you with everything. When you sign up for Rent Ready, you can start adding your properties, inviting tenants, and creating charges. You can even set up automatic rent reminders and create auto late fees as well. For tenants, they can pay via ACH, card, or even cash using Rent Ready's web and mobile apps. They can also use an automatic payment setup and sign up for rent reporting so they get rewarded for paying rent on time. Rent Ready saves you time and hassle by automating rent collection, and you can manage everything from one dashboard. For our weekly juice listeners, Rent Ready's given us a special 50% off for any Rent Ready plan using our code Weekly Juice at rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com using the code Weekly Juice. That's W E E K L Y J U I C E to save 50% off any Rent Ready plan. Chad, officially welcome back to the Weekly Juice podcast. Corey and I are so excited to have you on the show, man. I, we talked pre recording, but uh, long time coming. And we are just so thrilled to interview you. So thanks for coming back on. It is great to be back on. I've, I enjoyed the first one, but it's been way too long. So thanks for having me back. Yes, absolutely. I, I want to preface this for listeners too. We had Chad back on and probably probably like three years ago. He was one of our first. I'm going to look it up while you're talking because okay. I really want to know. Yeah, I think ahead. it was like episode 10, like all the way all right. back then. Find the exact uh, number, but I want to bring this up for a reason. So in beginning of covid we decided to start this podcast it was Corey's idea and i was like we started going back and forth and we did about like five or six episodes and it was about like teaching people how to invest in real estate and like study personal finance and get your financial picture in order and like our journey into inception then we stumbled across chad's book called uh retire early with real estate we read it and we were hooked and we said hey we need to start investing in real estate fast forward a couple of weeks we decided to have the guts to reach out to chad and see if he'd come on the show uh, we had no big names within the community on the show before, and lo and behold, he, he said yes, uh, shockingly. And it was, what episode was it? It was 23. So it was in September of um, 2020. So, okay, so I say this, it was the Jordan number, so lucky lucky 23. Yes. We had Chad on the show, and uh, Chad, so I, that was a lot of back-end information, but we wanted to bring it up to basically say, thank you for joining us again. You are one of the reasons we got into real estate investing. We would not be here where we are today without you. And you're one of our like virtual mentors. We've not officially met in person down in uh, South Carolina, but uh, you've taught us more than you know. So it's an honor and a privilege to have you back on. Man, that means a lot. Thank you. That's, I just, uh, really, really enjoy hearing that and can't wait to talk talk again. Cool. So. Let's do it. Um, okay. So let's dive in here. I want to chat a little bit, maybe pre-real estate for you. Um, you have a cool story about college and, um, and things of that nature. I don't want to spoil anything, but if you could maybe take us back Free real estate, and then what set the light bulb off in your head? Where you're like, hey, like this is something I can see for my future, and how I want to build, you know, generational wealth for my family. Yeah, the the quick version was I was in college, and I got a scholarship to play football in college, so that was kind of my deal. I'd go to Clemson University. I was a middle linebacker, and when I got done, I thought for like a moment in time that I might go to the NFL. That kind of that bubble got burst really quickly, and so it was like, all right, that's not going to work out. Uh, and I was deciding what to do, kind of like everybody does, and they're you know early adulthood. And I was going to go either traditional route and I like go to medical school was kind of my thing. I was a biology major or maybe work for another business. But this third option was like be an entrepreneur from the very beginning, never work for anybody else for the rest of my life. And I took that route. I went, I went into entrepreneurship, flipping houses essentially. And so I, it was, there's a lot of 
fun details to that, but the, the kind of big picture was I, a business partner and I got into it together. Neither one of us had any experience or money. I was lucky enough to have a family member who was in the business. My dad had rental properties back in Atlanta, Georgia. So I, I learned a lot from him. Uh, but then I went off on my own uh, at 23 years old with my business partner, who I'm still business partners with today. And we uh, had a had a fun time, like a lot of roller coasters and cash flow during the early years. But at 23 years old, you know, I could live in the back of my Toyota Camry, which was paid off at that point, and I could live in a tent. So it was a pretty, it was not like that. It was as challenging as some people have probably when they have a family, they have obligations. I didn't have any debt from college, but it was exciting, and I got into it, flipping houses, and eventually started getting rental properties as well. And that's more what I what we do now. We have a, a portfolio of buy and hold rental properties. The income from those and the you know the the relative passivity of those, not having to work a ton of time. Like these days, it's about two hours per week uh, managing our managers and managing the properties come from, from a distance. Was eventually what let me in my 30s be able to travel, study, you know, do other things. And I still do real estate, but it's it was kind of intense in the beginning and then more of a passive investment over the long run. Well, I think that's the goal, right? You kind of hit that financial independence. You did it through real estate and your book, you know, Retire Early with Real Estate, which is one of the, which was your first book that you wrote. And you have a new book that is out now that is uh, The Small and Mighty Real Estate Investor. Sorry, I had to look down because I thought it was small but mighty, small and mighty real estate investor. Um, but I want you to talk about the differences in the books. But I also want to mention that us reading that book, really the number one thing that helped us, me, maybe me specifically when I read it, is that you had testimonials in there. And I think that, that putting that in the book of 12, 15 people that have already done it or are on their way really was like painted the picture for me personally. I was like, well, if these people can do it, and I don't, no disrespect to any of them, but I'm probably as smart as them, I, I would hope. Like, maybe I could do this too. And that that was amazing for, for me to read and, and listen to Sally from New York and this person from LA and wherever coming together and sharing the story about how they were able to retire early. And I think the retiring thing has shifted for a lot of people because in 2023, it's a lot harder to retire than maybe in even in 2009, right? But I think the focus on doing what you want, when you want, and the importance of of time, freedom. So I, maybe talk about your new book, and then we'll go back and talk about kind of the journey to get there. Let's talk about you know what what made you write a new book after the first one was so successful. Yeah. So the the second one is called The Small and Mighty Real Estate Investor, as you said, and it's really more of a of a mission book for me. Like, and I love the idea of the testimonials. Like to me, the story is what always teaches. Like as human beings, like we 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 do learn facts, we learn information, but it's always the story. At least for me, this has stuck with me. And the Small and Mighty Real Estate Investor is is partly about my story, but it's partly about a story I wanted to tell within the real estate investing and the financial independence community which is you don't have to go really, really big in order to have a, a ton of freedom. In fact, going big actually might get in your way of being, being more free. I'll try to make that point. And I, I tell a story at the beginning of the book, uh, you know, I'll summarize it. There was a, there's a few real estate investors that met on bigger pockets. They're going on a trip to Europe. They've been in France for 15 years and they all kind of took different paths. And the first couple, first two couples were very, had simple portfolios. One had 10 properties, the other had 50 units, but they were all like, in one location kind of so they had grown up but they they kind of maintained what they had for a while and the third one was the most successful financially got into syndications had thousands of units was making like almost a billion dollars per year 
great, right? Like all of them had, had good money, but they went on this trip and they wanted to extend the trip. They're like, oh, this is great. Let's keep on going. And the third couple, what happened to them? Like they had plenty of money, but they had obligations back at home. They were growing. They had a team. Somebody had quit. One of their team members had quit. They had to go back and take care of that. They had some projects that needed to be done. They needed to go talk to people to raise money. The point was like they didn't, ha they had a lot of money, but they didn't have these other currencies of free time and flexibility. And I would add like peace of mind, just like just simplicity to know that you can, you have, you can do whatever you want. And so that that's the, that's kind of the, the main story of the book. And then I go into, you know, how do you build a business model that actually accomplishes everything you want financially, but also has full bank accounts of time and money and flexibility or you know, time and flexibility in addition to the money. And it's, it's, a, it's definitely a fork in the road. I, I found, you know, that there's, I, I went down that fork. I kind of followed the go big or go home kind of mentality for a while. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like I, I have friends who do that and I'm glad we have the Elon Musk and the, the, the people in the world who do that kind of stuff. But my message is for the people who say, you know what, I like real estate investing, but I don't want to have another job. I just want to have the income coming in and I want to have the flexibility to coach basketball or go on a trip with my family to and li live somewhere for a year. Or maybe I want to do that for a season and maybe I want to grow bigger later on. But I, I, the business model that's worked for me that I kind of I detoured in early in my career because I just I realized the risk of it. I realized the hassle. I just realized going big wasn't my style. And so the book is basically kind of sharing my business model, how this has worked for me and my business partner. And then of course, a lot of stories in between, here's how this person did it, here's how, because every story is a little different on how you apply it. But the core message is, you know, go smaller, go home, like keep it simple. Don't, don't try to have the biggest portfolio possible. Got it. That's awesome. I, I, a couple questions to go off that. Maybe for people that don't know you or your story, what does your portfolio look like now? And the reason why I asked the question is because I want to know what does small actually mean? Like, Right? What does that mean for somebody who's listening, who's trying to achieve small, and that has built a simplistic lifestyle where you're able to live in Spain for an X amount of time, or you were in, yeah. I believe it was Argentina, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were traveling all over the place and doing exactly what you wanted to do by doing this and then writing a book about it. So what does small look like for you? And I'm sure it's defined differently by everyone. Yeah. In the book, I define small in the small and mighty, because this is a loaded word, kind of like retired, you know, it means different things to different people. But for me, small and small and mighty means having the, the least number of properties necessary to accomplish your goals. And so it's really an orientation. And so like you typically the mantra is get the biggest, you know, go big. Like if you're not going to next, you're like, you're not, you're not doing enough. You're not proving yourself. My, my, my message is like, go as small as possible. That could be like, not that could be a lot bigger than what other people have. If your goals are bigger or if your properties are smaller, like in my, my case, my business partner and I have around a hundred units, which is 33 properties. And so my half of those, you can kind of think of it as like 16 properties, about 50 units. And honestly, I, I could be, I would rather be smaller than that. Like it's, I think over the years, we're going to whittle that down a little bit. Uh, but it's, it's just sort of a place we've settled at that works for us. And we still have a little bit of leverage on those properties, but we could probably sell some of those and pay off some more debt if we wanted to. But we're, we're in a good place. But so I'm, I'm kind of like the biggish side of small and mighty. But I, I share stories in the book about, and I have a friend uh, named Jillian Johnsrud. She's out in Montana. She has a family with five kids. She and her husband do, go on trips every year. She has two properties and they produce. Yeah, we, interv like, we interviewed uh, her uh, on the show, actually. Oh, uh, perfect. Last, I think it was maybe from your recommendation about a year ago. So it's funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. So Jillian has a similar lifestyle. She has some other investments as well, but 
you know, she has two properties as opposed to what I have. And so there's, there's a whole spectrum in there. It really is a personal decision. And it also is a market-based decision on how many properties you need. But that orientation of saying, I'm going to get smaller potentially instead of trying to get the biggest possible. And also like as you grow, the speed of your growth is another thing. It's like, if I, I was going fast, fast, fast in the very beginning. And there's always a season for pushing and hustling and growing. Like, I think that's important. But the, the message I try to get across in the book is that it's like you're climbing a mountain and you would never want to push straight to the peak of the mountain. You'd want to, you'd want to hit some plateaus and you want to take a break. And so there's this pace of business that sort, sort of gets pushed on us a little bit. And I'm trying to push back and say, you know what, like take a mini retirement, like take six months off, take two weeks off, like t take a break. That might mean you make less money in the long run. It might not actually, but it might, but who cares? Like remember those multiple bank accounts, like if you have enough money, but if you have, or if you have a, a ton of money, but you don't have time to, to do the things you wanted to do in the first place, like what's the point? And why wait until you're in your sixties, your seventies, your eighties to try to enjoy those things when you can like mix that that enjoyment of life like throughout throughout your climb and throughout your like different levels of financial independence. Yeah. I mean that's really cool. There so you're kind of speaking directly to us. We're we're at a I wouldn't say like a maybe it's not a crossroads, but maybe like a mini impasse where we're like, do we start going bigger? Right. We have we have a small portfolio amongst ourselves, but we've really gotten to the the larger syndication space, raising capital, partnering up with other people, um, and we're GPing a few deals and we'll continue to do that. But for us, we're using that active income, if you will, mm -hmm. to pump on the refis or the sale back into the long-term uh, portfolio, right? As you mentioned, maybe, you know, maybe we'll cap out at 50 units. We haven't really decided on our number, but the reason I'm bringing this up is because a lot of people are, you. this is a very specific message of staying small, right? And we've also said, hey, you could go big as well. So it's a nice, yeah. we're kind of looking at it as a happy medium where we can kind of like just keep recycling the cash um, into different deals. But my question for you is, and I was talking with Corey about this pre-show actually, we're talking like, at some point, you're going to have enough reserves in your um, long-term portfolio bank account to start living off the other dollars, right? And we haven't done that. We've just started. We, you know, we we have a pretty big sum. I, I wouldn't say massive, but we only have a, a small portfolio. We've covered that. We have about like six months of expenses, right, covered in this portfolio for each of those properties. Do you have a baseline number where you and your business partner were like, "Hey, listen, like the portfolio is good." Now we can start using this money and living off it because for us, we still have our W-2s and like that is our, uh, unfortunately, right, golden handcuffs. But in a way, it makes us feel good about we still have dollars coming in as we build this portfolio to cushion. We're still bankable. So there's a lot there, but we really haven't touched any of the dollars in our portfolio. So I'm wondering yeah. if you could talk to the point where you and your partner decided to do that. Yeah, this is a, this is a really good point, both to your point about syndication and your W-2 income. like. The way I would explain it and the way I explained it in the book is that all of us as real estate investors, we, we go on a journey and you can think about it in like three stages. Like the first stage is like a starter phase where your job is just to get a first deal done. Like I remember you guys like buying your first with a duplex, right? Or a multi-unit yeah. property. Yeah. Like just yeah. get get that first deal under your belt, learn as much as you can. It, it is about making money, but it's more about, you know, just learning, like getting your confidence, getting your network. And, and so that's like, there's a different goal at the starter stage and you usually have very little money as well. So you just have to be scrappy and just do whatever deal you can do, house hack, partner, whatever, right? So that's starter phase. And then you get into this wealth building phase, which is the longest phase. It is typically what most real estate investors think of with the most of the advice you get is your goal is just to take the whatever amount of money you got, if it's a hundred thousand bucks, if it's 50,000 bucks, and turn that into a million bucks or 2 million bucks. So it's really an equity growth game. 
it's a, it's the, it, you're in, so you guys are, are right in there. Like you don't need to, you don't want to touch your cash flow when you're in the growth game because you want to recycle a hundred percent of that as much as you can tax advantage and then buy more properties and buy more properties. Now, so that's, that makes sense. Probably most people know about that. The third phase is the part that I, I don't hear enough people talking about. And I tried to really put all three of those phases into the book and show how you go through that journey. In the third phase, I call it Ender in the book. There's a, a guy named Pete Fortunato who I learned a lot from. That was his term. I'm a little hesitant to call it Ender because you don't you don't end your career, you don't end your life there. But you, it's more like a harvesting phase. And I also compare it to sports. Like you guys, you know, being in, in sports, it's it's like you're in the the fourth quarter of the game and you're winning big. And so you get to this Ender phase, you're winning. Like you built a lot of wealth, right? And so the, in the extreme cases. When I played football at, at Clemson, if our coach, if our coaches were, if we were winning and like a minute to go in the game or two minutes to go in the game, but we're on offense with the ball, we would just take a knee. Like we would just like put our knee on the ground and say, we're not going to make a mistake here. Like there's no way we're going to take a risk. We're just going to lose a yard or two because we're going to win the game. Right. If So if you were in your sixties, seventies, eighties, like if you'd never, if you just knew you never wanted to work and do any active income again, taking a knee financially would make a lot of sense when you get into that ender harvester phase. So like the equivalent of taking a knee would be paying off all of your debt. Like don't have any debt because why would you risk something you already have, this equity for something you really don't need? Like it, it makes zero sense. That's a quote that Warren Buffett says. Warren Buffett always says like, it's, it's insanity to try to risk this wealth that you already have by taking a little bit more risk, getting a little bit more debt to get a couple returns, percentage points return, and, but you might lose it all. Like that, that makes zero sense. And so like taking a knee is one extreme, but I, I'm not going to, I'm not in the point in my life. I was in my thirties when I kind of had to start dealing with this. Like, I'm not going to take a knee for the rest of my life. That'd be like taking a knee in the second quarter of the game, you know, <laughs> like it, and just try to ride it out. But, but there is a change in the strategy. So that's, that's what I tried to show in the book is like, when you, you reach this point where you do want to start living off the income or you do, do you, to use a poker metaphor, want to take some chips off the table, you, you change your strategy a little bit. And one of the specific strategies in real estate, which is kind of sacrilegious, is you start, I think you start paying off debt. I think you start selling off some of your extra properties perhaps and using the, the sell off the ones that maybe aren't your ideal properties. Maybe you cash out of a syndication or something like that. And then you use this big chunk of money to plow back to pay off some of your other properties. And you can combine that with like a debt snowball or some of those traditional kind of personal finance ways to pay off debt. And that's what my business partner and I did. And we, just, we sort of stumbled upon it, but it was a really, cool move because we were looking, we had a hundred thousand bucks saved in the bank at one point. We're like, wow, this is amazing. But since we never had a hundred thousand bucks in the bank and we could have reinvested that and four more deals, like put 25,000 down. That's the traditional growth strategy, right? But we were looking at one of our properties that we'd owned for like 10 years and the loan that we had had been pay, had paid down to like a hundred thousand bucks and it was now worth 250, 300,000 bucks. So we had a ton of equity and the payment on that loan was a thousand dollars per month. So we had a hundred thousand bucks. If we were to pay this loan off, we would free up $1,000 per month or $12,000 per year. And if you look at that like a cash on cash return, that was like a 12% cash on cash investment. You know, I know it's exactly, uh, you know, cash on cash because there's some principal balance in there too. But from a cash flow standpoint, which we were interested in that point, we could free up $12,000 per year. We can reduce our risk because we now don't owe any debt on that property. And we don't have to go have another property with extra hassle, with extra tenants, with extra, you know, maintenance issues. Like it was, it made a lot of sense to start doing that. And so we've like progressively been doing that. We've kind of gone through some phases, regrowing a little bit more and then paying off some debt. But we've gone from like, instead of having a 60% 
or 70% loan to value portfolio, we have more like a 15% or maybe 20% somewhere in there. So that's been the journey we went on. And so we have some properties free and clear, some with some debt on them that are long-term debt, but that's the, that's playing the different game. That's the game that a lot of people don't talk about except for Warren Buffett and people like that. But it's, it's a really important message and a, and really, a really difficult stage for people who've been in the wealth growing phase. I'd speak because I know this personally, to actually change change the game you're playing. It's really difficult to do because you've been in this mindset for so long, for many years sometimes of just, just growing where that's the only thing that matters. And there's actually other things that matter though, risk, time, flexibility, those things we talked about earlier. You were the first person, Chad, that ca- taught me the framework. If you had 20 rental properties and you had them over a 10-year time frame, maybe you have six or seven of them with 30, 25, 30% leverage that you might've just bought six or seven with 30, 30 to 50% leverage that you've maybe could take it, refi and then, you know, six or seven with, with zero debt, right? And that's your 401k. And I heard that from you in your first book. So I love that. But I want to talk about a framework that I think is really difficult for people to latch onto. And, and you know this because you've been on both sides of it. The, the skills and the, the hardwiring of your brain and the muscles that it takes to build financial freedom puts you on a path for... Um, never stopping, right? That's what it does to your brain because if you have the skills and ability to become financially free, the skills and, uh, and ability to reverse that and slow down and take a break and, and to go on vacation and to take a mini retirement, it seems like it's an impossibility, at least for me. And, and I want to know what you've done or what advice you would give for people that are trying to do that. And, uh, and the reason why I ask the question is because Ryan and I just raised, <laughs> this is just so us. We just raised... Um, a significant amount of money for a, a, an 18 unit deal. Um, and we have a significant general partnership in the deal because we're doing more than capital raising, but we we brought a lot of money to the table. And <laughs> our first reaction is, all right, when's the next one? And it's like, we would never celebrate that. It, it's just like, I don't understand why, <laughs> because, but we would, we haven't even thought for one second, like we were like, yo, good job. <laughs> that was it. And you guys, you actually were like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, I feel like we just didn't do enough. And like, we did enough, dude. Like, it was it was really fun. So the reason why to bring it up is because you can tell, oh. I don't know if we're capable of mini vacation or mini retirement. I would love a mini vacation. We don't even do that. Just talk to me about what you, the mindset shift and how you're able to accomplish it. Uh, hey, the challenge is real. Like, I'm, I'm with you, man. It's almost like we're in a circle and saying, hey, my name is Chad. I'm, I'm addicted to ambition. Like, my name is, you know, like, here, here I am. Like, so there, there's nothing... I don't know. Like it, it is what it is, right? Like I, I think we're all hired hardwired a certain way. Like we could get into the psychology of it, why we are and how you change that. I, I'm not changing my ambition. And I've, I've kind of had, to, I've had a lot of conversations with my wife about this is like, I, I'm an ambitious person. Like I feel like I was put on this earth to, to go, like to do things, to make things happen, to lead, to do, do this stuff. So, so the other thing is you, you don't have to give up your ambition to grow your wealth forever. Like this isn't like, you know, sit on the sidelines and you're never going to play again you can set up what I call an, uh, an income floor. So it's essentially, you could take part of your portfolio. This is what my business partner and I did. We said, this is the part of the portfolio that's almost like a fortress. Like we, we just want to make sure we don't slide back down the mountain. We want to have like some debt paid off. We want to have more income. We want to focus on quality of our properties. But that doesn't mean that that's, that's everything. But like what you might want to do is say like, let's make sure that income portfolio, that income floor is something that can cover our basic financial independence number maybe even our normal financial independence number so that like if you didn't do anything actively, you'd still have this. 
there's a guy named, there's a guy out in California who I, I learned a lot of this from, and I've never met him, but he's just an inspiration as an investor named Mike Cantu. And he's out in Southern California. He's a wholesaler. He flips houses. He's like, he's good at that. I think he's still doing that after like three or four decades of doing it. But he went and paid off a portion of his, his real estate in California. And he looked at each property he had. He was like, okay, this property produces 1200 bucks. That's going to be my insurance property. And this property over here produces $1,500. That's going to be my groceries property. You know, and so he would actually like literally like that's that property has a job. That's the job description. And I wanted to do that for the rest of my life so that I never have to worry about that. And so that's that's what I call an income floor. And so here's how I like, go back to your question, though, is like, how do you you have ambition? The, the, the only difference is, is that you're taking some of that money that you might reinvest in growth and you're plowing it back. You're making sure you have this floor that you're never going to go back on. And then like it's wide open, like the rest, especially you guys are young. I'm, I'm young, too. And no matter what your age is, like now the question is, like, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And I'll challenge everybody listening to this because this is something I challenge myself with. You might not think you have enough imagination or you're like, what would I do if I weren't growing, growing, growing? Just give yourself some time to think about that. And a mini retirement to me is like the perfect opportunity to do that. I, I did my first one in 2009 in the middle of the Great Recession. We weren't financially independent, but we went to Spain and South America for four months. And it took me six weeks. Like literally my wife and I were sitting uh, on a little coastal town in Spain outside of Barcelona. We sat for like six hours in this, on the, looking at the, uh, the sunset of this little coast. And it was like six weeks after I started that trip before my chest, like finally, like just relaxed. Like, because I was hardwired, man. I'm just tight wired. And it took something like that for me just to step away from it, not to lose my ambition, not to say I'm not going to grow anymore, but to say like, what, what matters to me? Like, what direction do I want to go in here? And for me, part of that was we want to still keep growing some in real estate, which we did. But it was also like, hey, this like education thing and teaching. And so I found some other passions that were really important to me. But I think in life, we get so focused on what's in front of us that we don't have time to ask ourselves that question that we used to ask when we were in our teens or in our early 20s. Like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? And financial independence at its best is an opportunity just to do that, is to pivot in the middle of your life, later in life and say, I have 100% flexibility with my time. Money is not an issue anymore. I don't have to make money. If I want to do something that makes money, great. But like I've done stuff, like I started a nonprofit in my town because I'm really passionate about the fact that you can't walk around in the United States in most towns without getting run over by a car. Like our pedestrian infrastructure sucks. Like it's horrible. And so I, I was like, who's, who's working on this in my town? Like, and they're like, nobody. Nobody's doing anything. I'm like, that sucks. Let's, let's go fix this. It's been frustrating. It's been hard, which is entrepreneurship, right? But in 2014, a group of us started that. And now in 2023, we've raised several million dollars. All the city councils like working on it with us. We're getting trails built. And so we're getting a, a infrastructure of like walking and biking paths built in our town. Like I, I never expect to make a penny from that. I don't ever want a penny. I don't I want to put money. I've been putting money into it. But that's the kind of stuff you can do. Like there's problems out there. There's there's things that need to happen. There's uh, family members that need help. I mean, there's all sorts of things that I that I call that doing what matters that need our time, that need our flexibility. But until we like take the space to like ask ourselves that question of what do I want to do with my life now, we never give ourselves permission to actually do those things because they don't make money because they're not the like grow, grow, grow type of stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like that whole teaching old dog new tricks thing. And, you know, they say that like the older that you get, the more potentially stubborn that you get or more like stuck in your ways, I would say. Stubborn is maybe not the right word, but stuck in your ways. And I think that 
a way, this sounds like a great way to combat that. Like if you can take time incrementally to go think or to go just take breaks and what do I actually want to do? Like uh, to, to reroute your life. I think that is hugely important. I think that a byproduct of, of, of COVID really was that for a lot of people. Like we wouldn't have started the podcast if it wasn't for COVID. I wouldn't have even found how much I enjoy talking to people and teaching and mentoring and even just conversing and networking the way that we do if we hadn't had that break of like, well, what is it that we're doing? What is it that I want to do? And I think that what you don't want to do is turn, you know, be in your 60s or 70s and be like, damn, I really should have done this thing that you might not even know what it is because you never took the time to think about it. So I, I love that. And I think I'm telling it to myself now that the breaks are needed. And it's like, and I, I said this to one of my mentors told me, and it was just about children, like having children. He's like, dude, what? Like you want another 50 grand in your bank account or you want another, like what difference is that going to make to you? Unless you'd have not, nothing, right? But like, it's it's not going to change your, the way that you raise a child or the way that you, do anything really so it's a hard lesson but i i want to <clears throat> teach it to myself it gives you options money yeah. money gives you options yeah use it as a tool right yeah i mean and and for most people i would say i can't put a number on it but for the vast majority of people they are looking to escape their w-2 jobs and i say i say that tongue-in-cheek meaning the idea of having to clock in or to report to someone else and not be in control of their own time because it's finite right i think that's like the real challenge most people have and then they think money will solve that right it does to a certain point but if you're not pumping that money into something like an income producing asset it's just going to run out eventually and you're gonna have to go back even if it's not that same job you're gonna have to find another one and so i think we're all it's funny throughout all these conversations we're all like seem to be going through similar things at different stages of our lives that's what makes it so exciting and as humans we think a lot alike and we've we've experienced certain things and you know uh, contact will be made i think that that was one of the things i was like just Things happen all the time and just be prepared for them. Um, so I want to I want to bring this up. We mentioned I kind of uh, sneakily brought it up to you before we we started recording. But uh, another one of our learning moments here through our through our journey, um, you taught us and coached us through it. Whether you were in Spain and we didn't even talk to you, so it came through listening to one of your podcasts. Um, that duplex you referenced uh, that we bought that burnt to the ground, uh, and oh, so. Man. We had the uh, this a similar situation to what you had at one of your properties. Not not the exact one. I'll let you talk through it. But I, I want to talk through kind of what happened to us just briefly. Just people we we did an episode on this, but um, long story short, we got a call uh, at eleven thirty at night. Ended up missing it. We we're both sleeping. Woke up in the morning. It was one of the tenants that called and said, "Hey, my home is on on fire." I'm like, "Oh my god! Like, what do we do?" Uh, Basically, we before going through all the motions, we quickly went on Google. There was no one There's... with any information besides you. Yep, and you had to step by step. What was the friendly? The the first name that popped up had to deal with a a property fire. Coach Carson. We were like, dude, five in the morning. Whatever time we woke up and saw us, we immediately turned it on. I we have to go through the. Uh, I drive past my job, my uh, W two job to get to the property, and so the property is like another thirty minutes away. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to work without at least driving to the property, checking this thing out. I got to go see what's happening. So I listened to your podcast on my way down, literally like, I shouldn't say this, but like mentally taking notes, right? As much as I possibly can, maybe a couple of my notes app. And I'm like, get, I'm driving down there. I finally get there and I see this place. I'm like, well, maybe it's not going to be as bad as, as I thought it was going to be. Corey and I are trying to talk ourselves off the ledge. Hey, maybe fine. Maybe it's just the siding. the siding. Well, you know, maybe the roof a little bit. Get there, like trash. Completely, completely. And long story short, 
the place needed to, it was a complete overhaul. Uh, they had to knock it, they're gonna have to knock it down. But um, we we go through the the motions. I'm listening to your, to your episode and it's teaching us who to contact at what time, what steps to do this. And we, we finally go through the motions of all this. And, and we're like thinking, how can we possibly be going can it get any worse, right? Like they tell you, you go into real estate and you think about this and I'm bringing this up to people listening. It's like, if you're going to get into the game, just expect things to go wrong. We were like, ah, the worst case scenario, house will burn down. Fine, I won't happen, whatever. And it did for us in the first couple of years of investing. So um, I'd say that because we, if you can get through this, you can get through whatever. Like things are going to happen. You just got to, you mentioned this too, like half of it's the journey and you learn how to overcome things and go through it. And so um, I just wanted to, First off, let you know what happened to us. And thank you for the guidance again, man, because no one had that out there. You had like the, the guide on how to navigate a, a property fire. So it was amazing. Well, having gone through it, I'm sorry you had to go through it. And I'm sorry for your tenant too, because they're the, they're the ones who have them. They're the, they're the ones who put out the most, you know, and losing their home. And a lot of times their personal stuff. So it's a traumatic thing. Right. And, but I, I went through that as a, as a landlord and with our, we had a property manager who handled it really well. I was really lucky, lucky and happy for my property manager. They took care of the tenants that we, we paid for, but they, they did it like buying them food that night and finding a hotel for them to stay in. So it, I mean, it's, it's real, right? It's it, but the fact that you guys found that episode, like when I went through it, I'm like, all right, I don't know if anybody, anybody's ever going to listen to this, but I'm going to like write it step-by-step step like I always do. And like, that's, I'm really happy that you actually, so probably other people have benefited from it too. So that's, I guarantee really good to hear. hundred <laughs> percent. I, I go, I'm going to say coach. I, I'm not going to call you Chad. You're a coach. You're literally our coach. Yeah. So um, this is really funny. I'm a big YouTube university guy. And uh, Corey and our producer are probably sick of hearing me say this, but the, I'm a visual guy, right? I learn everything from like, I just need to see it and then I can tackle it and move on. Um, that episode is just one small piece of the amazing things that you're doing online. And I said, I just say this to like, whether you know it or not, like you, you could be doing five other things. You could be in Spain, you could be doing whatever. Those YouTube videos you put together and the walkthroughs, like how to analyze a property, how to navigate a fire, how to do this, they all are so invaluable and and people are learning every single day. Like you might see a couple of views go up, but the fact that it could, it changed our whole portfolio in our lives. And like, so I just want to thank you for everyone else because those little things you're doing along the way, while, you know, growing your own wealth and doing, you know, everyone's got their own problems. You got your own happiness too. Like, thank you for giving back because a lot of people charge out the butt for that. And to be able to go quickly learn and, and pick up the pieces uh, within an hour was pretty cool. Well, not only that, uh, Chad, but it also, I think you made, not made us, but we the, the, the moral of this whole story is we're actually going to have to pay capital gains because of how much of an insurance payout we got, which saved us because of the documentation that we, that we made on it. And I was on this insurance company, like literally like, if, three, if they told me they were going to call me today, like they're getting a call from me if I don't hear from them, like that type of thing, because I know how it gets. And I was stressed, but I had the notes. Like I had everything written out, what time, timestamp, photos, all of this. Like nobody could tell me that I didn't have this thing buttoned up. And, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, everyone will look at it. Nobody was hurt. Well, I mean, that's fortunate, but uh, everyone had renter's insurance. But the neighbors actually set the fire. So there was no fault or anything like that on us. So like the fire started in their garage, which led over to our house. So the, the insurance process was a little bit smoother for us because the, the cops got there and they documented it and they're like, clearly like this had nothing to do with your, even your tenants. So there's no like fault going back and forth. And we, and our insurance coverage was higher than what we owed. So we ended up working out, but those early days of not knowing what was going to happen was really important. So, um, 
Thank you. The, what I want to get into now is I know that you started your portfolio, um, well, I guess you could say a while ago at this point, right? Like it's been, you've had it for years. So yeah. knowing what you know about from back then now, like start, if you were starting, if, if people were listening to this, say, I want to build a small and mighty real estate invet- portfolio in 2023, going into 2024, there's nuances, there's changes, there's differences. What would you recommend if people were starting? And maybe they do have a couple properties. Like, for example, we bought properties in 2019, 2020, that those numbers don't even work anymore today in 2023. Like, we can't get the same thing. So we're on to a little bit bigger things. Like, we're not trying to buy a single family anymore, but maybe there are people that are. What would you recommend knowing what you know now? Yeah, it's kind of like sports. I keep going back to sports metaphors because I know you guys understand that too. And that's, my, that's how my mind thinks. But it, it's like the fundamentals of real estate haven't changed just because the interest rates have gone up. It's, just, it's sort of like you're just playing in a different venue. Like if you were a basketball player, like now you're in a place where, where you know, the, the wind is blowing from the right instead of the left or something you're out in an outdoor court. Like that's kind of the way interest rates are. Like the, the, but the, the fundamentals are in real estate. If you boil the entire business down, it to me is like two factors. Number one, buy quality properties. And we can define what quality means, but like properties that are going to produce a profit for you over the long run. And there's different ways to make profits, but basically two ways that I like to focus on, they're either going to produce income and make you income, cash flow, or they're going to grow your equity. Like that's, that's the two. There's some tax benefits too, but I kind of put those as like a icing on the cake. But like, number one, you got to buy properties that are quality assets, that are in demand, that are locations that are going to attract tenants. They're going to make you money. Like that's, that's part number one. But the trick of real estate is putting money together with real estate. Like you got to have the money because most of us don't have like you know hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting around. I know I did, and most people listening to this when they're starting don't either. And it's just and so the difficulty in 2023, interest rates have gone up relative to what they were. They used to be three and a half percent. Now they're seven and a half percent. Like how are we going to do this? Like is real estate impossible? And the message I would say is like you got to study history. Look back in the 1970s and 1980s. You know, when some people got started in real estate in the early 1980s, interest rates were 14%, 17%, and they still bought investment properties. Like they still made money. And so you just need to know as a beginner, if you're just getting started, like it's not impossible. The numbers are going to be different, but you, you got to think outside the box. And I, I think we've kind of gone back to a, a, a normal market. Like this is like the, the time we had before with like 3% interest rates and just putting it, you know, 5% down and making it cash flow. Like that was pretty unusual. Like that's not a normal thing. The way you got to think about it now is you're gonna have to do something entrepreneurial to buy to to buy the deal better to get better financing. So here here's just some ideas like when you go if you're gonna buy it, it like full and pay full interest rate seven and a half percent, it might not cash flow you know at the full price. So maybe you got to buy that property below the full value. Like you got to look for deals that are fixed uppers or deals that, are, that sellers motivated where they're willing to sell it for ten percent, twenty percent, thirty percent below the full value. That's how I got my start. Like every deal I ever bought in my first five years of real estate was like, can I buy something for 70 cents on the dollar? Like that was my number. And you'd be surprised how much better a deal cash flows when you buy it at a discount. And I know you're like, people are thinking like, well, yeah, nice for you to say, but you know, there's a low supply of properties and you know, people aren't selling properties. Like those are, that, that, that's true. It's difficult, but like, you know, anything worthwhile is difficult. Like, yes, it's difficult, but there's somebody doing it. Somebody is being successful buying investment properties at below value. Somebody is successful at doing other strategies, for example, not just buying at below value, but getting creative financing, getting sellers to finance the property to you at a 3% interest rate instead of paying 7.5% to the bank. Or somebody else is successful going to a private lender and finding somebody with some lazy money in their retirement accounts that's just sitting there making a couple percent and pay, get them to 
to load it to you at 6% instead. I know that stuff's easy, but that's the secret. Like that's the key. Like it's, it's a hard secret to, you got to exit. It's hard to execute, but it's pretty simple to understand. It's like, it's real estate, it's money. If the cost of money goes up, you either got to buy the real estate at a lower price, or you got to go find an alternative source of money that you can get at a cheaper cost of money. That's, that's the name of the game. And so if you just, if you like simplify the game, the fundamentals are the same, you know, none of that's changed. Everything you've learned about real estate still applies. You just got to change your game plan. You got to go in with a different way to attack the, the other team, basically. And that's, that's kind of, I'm, I'm happy to go into depth on any of those, but that's, that's the approach you got to take. You got, you got to figure out ways to kind of zig when the market's zagging and do different things. Mm, yeah. I like that a lot. Thank you. Um, I have one more, and then I'm sure you have a couple, but uh, I want to talk about your sabbaticals because I know we talked about them briefly and like you, you hit a plateau, right? You want to go travel. Can you talk about lifestyle design? We talk a lot about real estate and building your portfolio. And I, I know you're at a point now and maybe your early 40s and you've you've built this, let's call it a hundred unit portfolio. You're doing a lot for your community and you hit a point where you're like, I have a lot of life to live, right? Like if you if you go trajectory, right? Let's call it 30 plus years, something like that, whatever, whatever it really nets out to be. But can you talk about the importance of like how you strategize this? It's not like you just magically have a trip and you can magically go for six months to Spain with your entire family, wife and kids. So um, I think that's really important to chat about lifestyle design. A lot of people just talk about numbers and money, but I think for us, like there's a reason why people do this, right? So Tell us a little bit, maybe peek behind the curtain on you know, your family life and, and why you do what you do. Yeah, it sort of starts with a conversation we had earlier. Like you, you have some quiet time and you think to yourself, you're like, what would I do with my life if I could just wave my magic wand and do whatever I want to do? And for my wife and I, when we first met, like literally like the first date we had, we were talking about like, oh, you like to go abroad? Like you like to, like she she taught Spanish. She had lived in Guatemala for a while. She traveled abroad. It's like our literally our conversations that we really connected on were Oh, I'd love to travel too. Like, I like to learn Spanish. That was my kind of corny pickup line with my wife when I first met her. Like, oh, you teach Spanish? I want to learn Spanish. Let's let's do this. You know, and so I, so it's like as corny as that was. Like, that was the through line for us. And so we've always kind of gone back to that. And this is the important part: is like if a small, mighty investor, I feel like works it backwards from that. Is it could be irrational. It doesn't matter if it's irrational. It's just like whatever. What flows your boat? Like, what what's your why? Like, what's important to you? What's exciting to you? And it could change over time. That's an important thing about your, your long, hopefully, if, you know, if it all goes well, you live a long life, you're going to have seasons of your life. And so we're in the season right now where we have kids. And when we were in 2017, we had a three-year-old and a five-year-old kid. And so the season for us was like, we like traveling. My wife's a language teacher. I like learning foreign languages. We wanted our kids to be able to be fluent in a foreign language, in Spanish in our case. That was it. Like there's, there's no reason you don't have to justify that. You don't have to say that's a good reason or not. That's just, that's what excited us. That's what moved us. And so for us taking a, a long trip for us, 17 months was the, the trip back then. Uh, that was like the, the, the practical part follows that kind of irrational, whatever, whatever, why you have. And so the, it makes the, it makes the, the practical steps a lot easier because for, for example, traveling abroad, we did it again in Spain. So kind of fast forwarding, they were, Get, we were, the season we're in now is like, okay, my daughter was 11 when we left and the other one was nine. Like, you know, how much longer are we going to be able to do these trips? I hope we can do more, but if she gets into high school, she's got other activities. This could be like, you know, a season of our life that we just need to take advantage of. So let's, let's prioritize that. And so it started off with just a conversation with me and my wife saying, Hey, let's do another, it was COVID happened. We couldn't travel then. 
right after COVID, I think 2021, 22, I'm like, Hey, let's, let's do this. Like, and she wanted to do it too, but it's like, I think we can do this. Like I can I can, we can get away. We can, here's the things we have to do from a business standpoint. Our rental properties had done a lot better. Our income had gotten better and better and better. So like the earlier many retirements we took, we, the first one we did in 2009, like we had to save the money, like saving for a car to go on the trip. Like we didn't have enough passive income to do it. The 2017 trip, we had enough money to pay for everything in Ecuador, which is like a few thousand bucks a month, maybe three or 4,000 bucks a month. This trip in Spain, we're like, let's go to Spain. Like, let's live in the center city. Let's pay you know, a little higher rent. Like it's, you know, eight or 10,000 bucks a month is good. We're good to go. And so the planning on the money side was actually a lot easier. So the practical things we had to do, for example, uh, going to Spain, we wanted our kids to go to a local school again. So we had we hired a consultant in Granada, Spain, uh, which is we ultimately decided to go to Spain because we wanted Spanish speaking again. We wanted to be in Europe, so we I, I studied German in college, and I had a friend in Germany I wanted to go visit. We wanted to go to Athens, Greece, because our kids had been reading some uh, Rick Riordan books. They're like these kids' books, young adult books that are all about like Greek mythology. But like in the United States, they're like in New Jersey, like meeting Zeus and things like that. So like they knew all about Greek mythology. They're like teaching me. And I said, where, if you could go anywhere in Europe, where would you go? They're like, Athens. Like, oh, really? Why, why Athens? Like, well, here's why. Here's all these Greek, you know, Greek mythology. And so we had some stuff like that we wanted to do. And it's, it's like a real world learning experience. You know, we're going to the museums at Athens. We're going to see, you know, the Apollo, uh, the, the, my, the Temple of Apollo. And, you know, it's really cool stuff. And they're telling us stories and we're learning. And we're having that experience together. And so for us, Europe was that. And living in Spain, we wanted to, we, we like walkable spaces as I was talking about, kind of my pet peeve is not being able to get around on feet or jogging or on your bike if you want to. And so we just chose to live in an urban environment and Granada is a small city. It's not like a huge city, which would be overwhelming for us coming from a small town in South Carolina. So we lived in a 200,000 person city, Granada. We lived in an old part of the city, the Autobicene, where they have these little small streets that have been, people have been walking on over thousands of years. A lot of history, cool cobblestones, views of uh, the Alhambra, which is a, a big uh, kind of fortress that people visit there. Uh, a good expat community, a lot of people who live from different countries. So we, we got to meet just so many interesting people. Our kids went to school every day and got their Spanish uh, returned, you know, got better again. And we went on adventures as a family. I wrote a book. So like there's a lot of stuff that went on, but it, it really is pressing pause on the real estate stuff. Like I, I still do real estate, but it was like pay some bills every week, talk to my property manager, bookkeeper. Like real estate is a very small part of my day-to-day -day life from a time standpoint, but it's a hundred percent of the money. And I have some other, you know, my coach Carson business has grown kind of from a hobby to something that also makes some money, but I actually put that on pause too. I didn't teach any classes while I was gone. It was making much less active income from anything else except for real estate. And it was just sort of a cool reminder for me to see that journey of where it's come from a financial standpoint so that you can focus on these other things for a season of your life. And then now that I'm back, I'm, I'm back in ambition mode. I'm wanting to grow some other stuff and get back on my green crescent trail and build those. And I want to, you know, promote the book. And so like the ambition comes back, but it's, it's kind of nice to have these little, you know, quiet spaces that you then kind of re-energize you so you can go back and hustle again. Yeah. Chad, you're the perfect person to talk to. Whenever I think about lifestyle design, I think about you because you're able to achieve that clarity of what is it that I really, truly, and honestly want to do? And I've thought about it myself. Like, like if I could wake up in, on a month and have a month to coach, to teach, to to mold, to mentor, to to help shape other people, bring value to their lives. If I could throw in some some travel in there, if I could golf, if I could spend time with my family, 
if I could uh, do some podcasts. Like, I, I mean, there's not much else that I would really need. And, and, and I always have thought to you to like, those things are not impossible. Like that living that life is not impossible. Now, is it super easy to buy a hundred rental units? Like, no, it's not super easy to do that. Like, no, I don't think anybody would say that, but the design along the way and the taking the steps and the breaks and the, and the, the moving and the maneuvering to figure out how to get there is really just a, a couple conversations or a couple mental clarity breaks away. And I, I, I've done it. Um, I'm not great at it, but I think like I've gotten better at it. And I just, even right there, just working through that, like, what do you want your life to look like? Like, it's not nobody when they're 90 who, who's about to pass away has ever said that they wish they made more money. Like, and it's hard to get that into a 30 year old's head. It's hard to get it in my head, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't take the advice of somebody who's been there, done that. Like it's, it, it's nobody has ever said it. I mean, if they have, maybe they're a sociopath. I don't know. Well, I, I've had to play tricks on my own mind. Just, I mean, just going back, because I think this is an important topic. You know, I think you're, you're not the only one. I'm not, I'm not the only one either. You got to play tricks on yourself. And uh, many retirements are the little tricks. Like for me, like my, my wife like knows this, like when we finally leave, like I kind of go, like there's part of me that's like, eh, I don't know that I want to leave. I don't want to get off the treadmill. I don't, you know, I like it. I like the, the race, but every single time I've done it, every single time I've take, done what you're saying, where you take a pause, whether it's a week or whether it's a year and a half, like when I finally get there and like take a deep breath, I'm like, I can't believe I almost didn't do this. Like, I can't believe it. Like that would have been ridiculous if I didn't do this. Like, but sitting on my deathbed, there's no way I would have, like, I would have regretted not doing this. And, and you, it, you gotta, it's, so it's a, it's a, you can trick yourself a little bit. Like sometimes travel to me is like, all right, I'm going on the airplane. I bought the ticket. Like I'm going, like it's, it's happening. Like you got to do it. I feel like changing your location, whether that's just getting in an RV whether it's traveling to Europe, you know, whatever you do, like or going to Asia somewhere or just, you know, like what I think changing your physical location is, is my trick. It's like, all right, it's happening now. I got to rent my house. The house is rented. All those little details that, that happen between sort of force your hand a little bit so that you have the space to then figure it out. And even if it's a mistake, who cares? Like, all right, I made a mistake. I like, I want to go back. You know, that's a, that's a lesson too, right? It's all a, there's no perfect like aha moments. Like I still am trying to figure it out, but you gain more and more clarity as you go. Kind of like a sailboat is like tacking back and forth. Like you're, you're trying to figure out like, what's the distance? Where am I trying to go? But you're never going in a perfect line. You're just always sort of stumbling along, figuring it out. And every once in a while you have these moments that we're like, I'm, I'm on, I'm on purpose. Like, this is what I should be doing. And those are the magic moments. That's why we do this. Yep. hundred percent. As we wind down the show, the, one of the questions I want to ask before we, we finish up is like, okay, what's next for Chad? Like what, what is what does the next year, two years look like for you? Um, I think you talked about it a little bit in the episode, but maybe share that. And hopefully, our listeners can take something away from it. Yeah, I'm figuring it out still. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm getting this book out, and the message out is is important to me. Like, I feel like that was in my head for a long time, and I, th- I you know sometimes when you you guys are in the communication business now too, like I feel like being a communicator, spreading this word, uh, you know, this message to people is like really important to me, and. Uh, the Coach Carson platform, like you got, like the, the validation I got from hearing you guys talk about the episode with the fire, for example, like that to me is like, that's my biggest professional reward these days. Like I, I'm a coach, like I, I love, love, love teaching. And I, I was actually thinking in college, I was like, I probably need to be a football coach. That's kind of the, the direction I was going, but I, I didn't want to stick with, for whatever reason, I love football, but I was like, no, I, I like entrepreneurship, that this is my sport. Like I love taking something, this, you know, taking nothing turning it into something and now you have this this business or this income property or whatever. And so the satisfaction I get have gotten doing that and learning it 
getting to teach other people how to do that, like is, is just infinitely satisfying and fulfilling. And so that's kind of the, the era I'm trying to embrace. I've been reading a lot of John Wooden. I'm going back to my old John Wooden books, uh, which is about, you know, the Hall of Fame basketball coach, for those who don't know, from UCLA. He's kind of my, my model, role model for a, a basketball, for a, a, co- a coach. And I'm trying to channel a little bit of that and just be, like, where can I be helpful? Like, where, how can I focus on the process of success? And how can I help people with the details? Like, I, I'm really getting excited about, like, the, the X's and O's. Like, I want to teach people about maintenance. I want to teach people about, like, the, you know, the practical stuff of financing and how do you manage your cash flow? Like all, all those little details that are, you know, that's like the John Wooden would talk about basketball. He would teach his players how to tie their shoes so they wouldn't get a blister. Like that was the kind of details they would get into. Like, I want to get into that kind of detail because I think people appreciate that. Like there's a lot of high level stuff, a lot of rah-rah, but who's going to teach you how to like actually do the details of success. And if you do those things and you put a bunch of those little details together, you'll then buy a property then you'll buy two properties and then you'll eventually have the income from those properties that will pay for your lifestyle. And so all these big things we've been talking about, they all like happen on this, the, the minutia level on the detail level. And so I'm, I'm excited about teaching that coaching it. I'm not, I'm kind of open to the, the platform, the way it's doing it, but I'm my podcast. I publish every Monday, every Monday is, is one Avenue. Uh, the book is kind of a way to get the word out. And then I'm, I'm doing some stuff with like a, a community. I've taught classes in the past, but I'm working on, having kind of an inner circle, like, you know, kind of people who want to get a little bit more coaching from me and I'm giving, pouring some, some coaching and love on those people within a community and kind of testing that out. I'm just trying to figure out ways that what's the best way to help real estate investors accomplish their goal, have financial freedom. Like I'm, I'm open to the how, but I just, I know that's, that's what I want to be working on. Cool. I think that's great. And I, I want to, it's interesting you mentioned all that. Like, it seems like a lot of people are doing that these days where they're, they're taking their platform and they're like, for us, we interview people every Wednesday, right? And I'm like, we have our, we're in a couple of masterminds, but I feel like we have our own mastermind. And it's just like all of us, you know, including you, like just people that we've had on the show, we have this, we're all fighting the same fight. And I don't know, there's something to it. But what I will say is you already have an archive of all the teachings. You already have an archive of all the podcast episodes with um, influential people and, and stories. You have both books. Now, I think the only thing is missing, right? Is like, how do you package it all together? And give access to you because you are absolutely right. There's no one out there, or maybe you didn't say this. I'm going to say this. There's no one out there that is giving the true X's and O's. We find ourselves every single time going back to your platform. And it's like, dude, it's, it doesn't make you feel like you are, um, I don't know, up against this big, crazy, like big, bad wolf, right? Like, it's like, oh, I can attack this. There's just small steps to this along the way. Um, and I always feel good after I'm like, okay, I can have my notepad out. You're teaching me the X's and O's. I'm writing stuff down. And then as long as I go take it and actually go do something about it, I'll be in a good spot. A lot of people will just take notes, notes, notes. They never take action. That's on them. Maybe that's where the accountability comes in from the platform. Just thinking out loud. But there's a lot of people less successful, no way less than you that are doing that. So I think that's a, a great move. Uh, I know a couple of guys that would likely join that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I also think it, it, I think Brandon Turner said this. I don't think he was the original person to say this, but I think this is the X's and O's stuff that you were mentioning. It made me think of it as like, nothing is really difficult. It's just a series of undefined steps that you haven't figured out yet, right? So like even, and I say this, like I, like I know a damn thing about rocket science, but like even rocket science is a series of, maybe it's defined steps that you have to knock off, right? And they might be difficult, but not as difficult if you break them down into concise steps. And that's really what the X's and O's do. And and that's how we we've built our small portfolio is, is, 
we need to do this, we need to do that. And it really does come down to like, what are you doing when you get up in the morning to, to prepare yourself for the first task? So I love it. Um, go ahead. Did you have something to add there? I was just going to say, I'm just going to validate what you guys have done. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see the progress you've made from the time we talked before. And I mean, you're students of the game. You're, you're, you're doing the work. You're helping other people now. Like, I, I love it. Like, it's, it's really cool to see see you doing the doing it and progressing and that's what is fun for me too like it's nobody goes on the same path like my path is going to be 100 percent different than somebody than your path but there are clues like along the way and i, I think that's what's fun is that the, the true entrepreneurs you meet who are are, are generous with they, what they know like they're, they're you guys are sharing it you're on the show from the very beginning you've been transparent about it i try to do the same thing and for everybody listening like it's, it's just this is a big circle like people and we you hang around the right people, the right entrepreneurs, they they leave clues, they help each other, they want to see other people be successful. That's that's how I measure the type of people I want to hang out with. Like how generous are they with their with their knowledge, with their wisdom, with their with their energy? You know, that's that's because ultimately that's what it's all about. Like who, you know, you're not gonna take the money with you, right? You're not gonna take any of this stuff. You're you're gonna you're, all you're gonna have is a bunch of moments, a bunch of relationships, and that's that's really cool to see what you guys are doing too. So I just want to celebrate what you what you got going on. Thank Appreciate you. It. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. I think uh, the the one thing the last thing I'll say is like we you talked about you can't take the money with you, right? But and there's a lot of different things that you can can do with money, but the memories, right, are are kind of the most important thing in the experiences that you're going through. I want to bring this back to um, someone mentioned this to us the other day. It's like and it's really stuck with me is the the relationship capital. You mentioned like the the energy you give off. It's so hard to to quantify that. But I feel the same exact way. You want to be around those people and they just give you that energy. They feel good. You feel like their morals and their values are aligned and you're also competitive and you want to attack this world and the game that is all going through, but with the right types of people, not the greedy ones, not the ones that make you your gut feel a little bit eh, uneasy. It's like, no, this guy's got it going on. He's done it the right way. He's a family man. Like, There's just a lot of synergy, I think, amongst us all. And that's why we we're so excited to have you on today, man. Like, just been a long time coming and... Uh, Thank you for coming back on the show. As we mentioned plenty of times throughout this episode, like you are one of our first mentors, whether you know it or not, virtual mentor. Um, we feel like we've known you forever just based on your YouTube videos and your podcasts and your books. So thanks for everything you've done for us. It's It's been awesome. My pleasure. Thank you guys. We got to meet in real life at some point. So let, let's make that happen, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we 100% need to. Um, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you though? If, if they want, maybe they want to join your, your coaching future coaching program maybe they want to join a mastermind if you if that's something or they just want to learn the x's and o's from a, a good coach what's the best way for people to get in touch so if you search coach carson anywhere like google coachcarson.com is my website and I, ha I have a newsletter that i send out every week and i have a podcast i do every week those are like the regular things so if you like to listen listen to my podcast i'm on apple i'm on spotify i'm on youtube i put my podcast on youtube as well so that's that's one way the other way is my email newsletter. I, I write that every week. And that's kind of behind the scenes. I share pictures. I share stories. As I was moving back to Sp from Spain to here, I was sharing like the frustration. I had like 10 bags that our, our family was carrying into the airport. And I was sharing pictures of that kind of, you know, it was kind of interesting stuff that might not be, you know, YouTube worthy, but I, I put them, I put in the newsletter and put it on social media a little bit. So find me on, on that. If you go to my website, I have a, a newsletter subscription there. That's the best way to stay in touch. And I'll be announcing some of the, the group coaching stuff I do there and some of the other kind of stuff that I'm excited about. And it really the, if you just want to, if you've never heard of me and never checked it out, the book is a great kind of encapsulation of my philosophy. You know, if you just read the book and that's all you need, that's awesome, man. That's, that's cool. And if you want other coaching and more follow-up, that's great too. Uh, but the book is available 
on bigger pockets right now, but depending on when the episode comes out, it'll also be after August 22nd, it'll be on Amazon, on Audible, Barnes and Noble, everywhere you find books. And I'm sure you guys will put links, links to all that. But if it's, uh, this, this is something that I, I wanted a handbook. I wanted something that you could read through. You could be inspired because there's a ton of stories in there. I have two whole chapters of like stories of people at different steps of their journey. I, like every time I have a lesson, I'm telling a story about people. Uh, some of them are my, are my stories, but I, I try to share a lot of other stories as well. But really, ultimately, like the meat of that book is like the details. It's the, this is like the handbook. This is the, how do you find, negotiate? How do you find, how do you finance? How do you eventually pay the properties off? When should you sell a property? When should you not? Like that, it's got the, that's, that's what I'm proud of. It's a 330 page book. So it's pretty, pretty thick there. Uh, but it's re hopefully readable enough that you can go back to it and pick it off the shelf and, and, and use it as a guide when you're, you're actually going on your journey as a rental investor. If it's anything like the first book, uh, it's going to be a home run. So I, I imagine it was, thank you for sending it to us, by the way, we got it. We will be reading it. Um, and just to validate everything we've talked about in this episode, like Chad, have you, I mean, if you guys are still listening here, I know it's the end of the episode. It's worthwhile to go to coachcarson.com. It's worthwhile to subscribe to his YouTube channel. It's worthwhile to buy both books and read them. I, I truly believe that. Like we have learned so much. Corey and I would not be where we are today without Chad. And I'm not saying this to promote a product at all. This is our life. This is what we've been through. And that just, he helped us escape a fire in our property. It's one of the scariest things you could possibly go through as an investor. So uh, Chad, it's been an honor. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to staying in touch. Same here, guys. It was an honor to be on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Weekly Juice Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and share with friends. The more ratings we get, the more ears we'll get on our show. And in turn, we'll be able to provide you with more high-quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily tips and tricks and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice.